Hello, everybody. I'm Larry. I'm an alcoholic. Um, first off, I want to thank um, you, Laura, for inviting us. And Elena, uh, thank you for showing also and to everybody that's sitting here representing AA. Um, myself, I'm not like a really big talkative person. Um, Helena and I, we go to a lot of meetings together. And as she knows, I am like very short and sweet. I don't have like really a lot to say. And like we were talking earlier, Dean and Laura, and I was telling them because she was congratulating me for having 16 years. And I was telling her that, you know, I really don't view the years as anything I view today, just this day, not, not tomorrow, not yesterday, just today. And if you think back to where when I was reading and bouncing to my book, because some of it. I have it to where, like an idiot, I use black magic marker. And, of course, it's smeared over the line, so you couldn't read it, you know, and I'm stumbling across it. But, um, and here, you remember the part where they said about tipping their hat to me? I used to use that to relapse. I was like, oh, I'll get them to tip their hat to me. You know, I tried beer. I tried wine. I tried a whole bunch of different things, you know. And it's really weird. The only thing that ever kept me from drinking was you guys. I went to church. I went to therapists. I done, you name it, I could go from A to Z. And there's one thing about that, more about alcoholism that really sticks out to me is that it has to be smashed that I'm like anyone else because I'm not, you know? And I really truthfully tried hard to stop drinking. And I, you know, really quick, just something about me. I was born in Florida. I ended up in New York um, in a very poverty-stricken family. My father killed a man, his son, drunk driver, and he was killed by a drunk driver. My younger brother was murdered at 18 years old. And I'm not telling you to stop because I want you to feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you because, trust me, there's someone that has a worse <laughs> situation than me. Like right now, the people that's getting bombed over in Gaza and the people that got hurt in Israel. And this, you know, we don't involve politics and all the news and everything in here. I just am a very realistic person, you know. And um, my sister has HIV. My older brother was found um, in Bayshore, Long Island, from a drug and alcohol overdose, you know. My brother that owns this house, he's um, very stricken with a lot of different illnesses, diabetes, um, getting green in his legs and so forth. He has to go to dialysis three times a week. But alcohol was, um, John Bollycombe really ran through our house. And if you guys remember that part in the big book about where the farmer comes up out of his cellar and says, oh, my, look at this. Isn't it just nice out here? We were like tornadoes, you know, we were to people's lives. And when my brother got murdered, that's when I think my drinking really took off because I kind of had a nervous breakdown. I really started separating myself from reality. And um, you guys brought me back to it. I was in and out of these rooms like, you know, revolving door. I came in here, I think one time I might have had three years. One time I might have had five years. I don't know what I had. I know I was lying a lot. So when to me, this is something that I've learned. This is the one time that I'm being honest with myself. Like on that coin, it says to thine own self be true, you know? And if you're still lying now and you're in recovery, 
then you're probably going to need to go back out and come back in again because you're only playing with yourself. And like some, I remember before when I was in the rooms, I used to drink and then come to the meetings and, you know, not so much that day, but let's say, you know, we met on Tuesday and Thursday on Wednesday and Friday, Monday, I'd be drinking, thinking I'm fooling someone, you know, and I wasn't fooling no one. And then once I got into recovery too, this time I got kind of cocky and started thinking I was better than other people. Like someone would come in drinking or whatever and, you know, you could smell it and I'm like turning my nose up. But who the hell did I think I was, you know? And that's one thing that really rubs me the wrong way anytime that I look down on anybody uh, con concerning anything, you know? I'm just a regular guy. I do the best that I can. I'm going to continue to always do the best that I can. And, I, and I'm and i very lucky. I get to know people like Helena. You know, she's helped me so much. She's like, uh, honestly, like, like a living angel. And I, I mean that, you know, has a heart of gold. One of the nicest persons I've ever met, you know. And I met her through Zoom. And I remember years ago, um, when you don't do what you're supposed to do, you won't understand what's in this book because you're supposed to read it with someone else. You're supposed to really, really get into it and, and know it. And once it gets all beat up and stuff, you're supposed to try to pass it on to someone else, you know, but you'll give them a new book. And you're supposed to read it over and over and over to learn it. And I didn't realize, and right in this book, it says modem to modem, you know? And someone brought up a lot of people together. And my home group right now, we're talking about taking and make not the california one but the one over in new york talking about separating zoom and brick and mortar because they feel that zoom is cutting down the amount of people that come into the meeting because we're hybrid and some people don't want to be on on zoom you know which that's totally up to them but i just feel like this that as long as zoom see i'm going to continue using it and i'm going to go to brick and mortar too because i think there's nothing more important than a being with another alcoholic i just think that and i'm just saying this to anyone that you know you do whatever you need to do for you but i have to go to meetings where there's other people too i like being around other people and one thing about me as being an alcoholic i'm a big time loner so i do need to be with other people you know so like i said i'm not a big talking person but what i can truthfully tell you is that in here there's steps and there's traditions, you know, there's concepts and so forth, which I've never really gotten into because I don't get into world service and all that other stuff. But the one thing I can truthfully tell you is that this right here is a roadmap to better living. But it doesn't, it's just paper and a covering without the people that's right here. Because if you're ever going through something, if you pick up the phone and talk to another alcoholic, I'm, I can guarantee you, your problem might not go away, but you feel so much better than you did before, you know? And I know this for sure because I've been doing this every single day of my life that I give, I'm given a day. I'm Larry. I'm an alcoholic. I really appreciate your time and your care that you could take out a moment to listen to what I have to say. And I usually don't make any sense, but it don't matter because in here you can babble and someone will understand it. 
someone will be able to identify, you know. And I was telling my sponsees, like, oh, well, I want to be perfect at it. The only thing you can do wrong in here is pick up a drink. And you know something? You're not going to hurt me because Bill, when he was telling Lois, you know, oh, all those people, they keep drinking. She says, are you sober? And that's what I say. I'm sober today. But I know that you guys are not drinking today. So you're a winner just like I am, you know. And remember something that's always important to me. And I'm learning this especially from people like Elena, who has less time than me, but has, I think, better recovery than me. You are your most important individual in the world. Because without you, for you, nothing exists, you know? So take the best care of yourself. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for letting me be of service. My name's Helena. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I have a sponsor. She knows she's my sponsor. Um, I have a grand sponsor, which is a new concept for me this time uh, around. This is not my first stint at recovery. Um, this time around, I try not to count days, just my personal thing. Um, like Larry kind of hinted on not to cross talk, but I'm, you know, I'll, I only have today and it helps me focus on the present on now. And sometimes even a day is a long time. Like when I first came in the rooms, they told me like, if it if just, you don't have to be sober today, if that seems like it's too long, you don't have to be, uh, I'm sorry, you just have to be sober, you know, right now for the next minute, for the next five minutes and, you know, take small increments of time. Cause sometimes a day seem like, I'm like all day. I have to do this all day. I have to feel this way all day. <laughs> um, let's see what it was like. So I'm um, a native of Oakland, California, go A's and Raiders. That's just, I'm going to leave that cause it's whatever. Um, <laughs> um, my parents are also, native here to Oakland. Um, let's see. Um, you know, I've got, uh, alcoholism and, and drug abuse on both sides of my family. It was kind of like, uh, you know, a normalized thing. I'd say like when I grew up, there were stories of, of my dad who had, um, large amounts of dry, forms of alcohol laying around when I was two that I wiped off of a coffee table. It's like, oh, he was so mad, but it was kind of, it wasn't a, that's a horrible thing. You know, it was, it was kind of um, a lifestyle. I don't remember a lot of that. Uh, my parents separated when I was five. Um, you know, I try not to focus too much on that stuff because it really doesn't mean or explain why I'm an alcoholic. For a long time, I thought that it did. I thought that things like we, you know, we moved around or that I was overweight or that I was of mixed race. I'm black and Irish. My mom's Irish. She's first generation born here. She has dual citizenship. And my father's family is from Mississippi. He's black. And, um, you know, we we lived in some places like where I spent most of my coming up years was in a predominantly white area and with my mom's side of the family. The cousins I was closest to growing up had blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, and and so I thought it was all these reasons why that I, I felt different inside. But after being in the rooms for a while, like I realized that none of that had none of that explains what I was feeling inside. Listening to other people's shares, that that feeling of never being comfortable in my own skin, 
um, feeling like I could relate to everyone to a certain degree, but never really fit anywhere. Um, seemed to be a common theme. This It's one of the key things, honestly, that made me realize I was home when I got to the rooms. Um, so um, drugs are a part of my story. Um, the first fellowship or the first time I got sober, it was kind of a hardcore, more old school. Like we don't talk about that here and we keep it separate, you know, primary purpose thing. And more recently, the fellowship that I call my home group now um, has kind of like they've highlighted where in the book, you know, Bill and Bob didn't shy away from like there are drugs in there, too. But to stick to the singleness of purpose, I will um, I'll try to limit it that. But I just I love the freedom that I feel now to to tell my story as it is and not have to try to abridge it. Cause I feel like the facts that other people said, the things that other people have said, not just pertaining to that, but in general, um, cool. Thank you. <laughs> um, have helped me relate to the story. And that's what the story is about, at least for me, it's hopefully that somebody can hear something, some semblance of what I've been through that relate that they can relate to and identify with. And then hopefully identify with what solution, you know, the program has provided for me thus far. So, um, my first love was actually weed by 15. I had tried it. Uh, well, I mean, there was some alcohol, you know, they, I came from a working class family who worked very hard, you know, union, hardcore union people, and they worked hard and you know what I mean? They, they played hard too. And so there was like some beer laying around one time and, you know, they let us try it or something. And it was never my thing. It wasn't my thing. But um, it wasn't until like I was 15 when I had found um, weed at first. And I knew right then um, getting outside of myself was definitely my thing. I kind of I kind of idealized it anyway before I used to say I was born in the wrong at the wrong time. I should have been a child of the seventies between my hair and my, you know, literally I thought it would expand my spiritual, like it would bring me closer to spiritual things. You know, the whole like expand your mind thing, like they do in the, I mean, I was born in the eighties, but I just identified with that. Like I honestly, and it sounds weird to say out loud. I I honestly thought it'd make me a better person. Like it would, it would expand um, my normal thought process but but what it actually did for me was gave me that that comfortable feeling um it it didn't feel like home it just felt like there were so many things that I cared about that I just didn't care about anymore my inhibitions were lowered and it was nice to feel free I was so so very much a person trapped in my own mind trapped in my own thoughts and my own way of thinking and it, and it was not good it made me miserable and it kept me from people um and so, you know, I was off and running. I never knew how to drink <laughs> in high school. You know, I was the one they'd, they'd show up with pictures Monday after Saturday night shenanigans with, you know, cigarettes in my cleavage and hanging out of my ears with a cowboy hat at someone's house that I didn't remember ever being at. And, you know, it, it's through the grace of God only that it didn't, you know, I didn't have worse stories than that because I know, you know, some people do or it was never you know, I wasn't hurt or anything. I just, you know, I, I would black out. Um, and it was just a normal thing. You know, I would throw up. I was the person they'd go and TP the school, but they'd leave me in the car because I couldn't make it just, you know, 
begging me not to throw up in their car while they left. Like that was, you know, that was me. Um, and, you know, it was fine. I did other things, um, what I thought was recre recreationally, you know, dry goods. Um, I'd go weekend warrior it. I had family members that I did it with that I knew where to get it from. And it's, you know, it was fun for a while. And, um, you know, it was fun for a while. And then what happened was I got my heart broken and I, I was a late bloomer. I had a boyfriend for a minute at 19, my first boyfriend in house, so I was 19. And I felt too like, well, I never belong anywhere. But when I was with him, it's like, oh, well, I belong with him. Like, so it felt like a some place too. So I didn't have many friends, you know, I didn't have, but I had this guy and uh, um, that ended very badly. And I got myself into another situation that ended very badly and I didn't know how to deal, but I knew what would make me numb out. I knew how to not have to feel things. I knew how to avoid painful feelings. And so uh, it quickly got out of hand. My first rehab I went to, I've been to a total of three, three times later, <laughs> by the grace of God. That is not everyone's story is, you know, rehab is not, um, it is not a requirement for AA, thank God. Uh, but for me, it helped to have the time out uh, away from everything to get out of my normal um, environment. And it was through my job, actually, all three times. Uh, but through the grace of God, I've been with the company for 17 years. That, and like, I should have been you know, I'm just grateful that I'm still there and that they have a program for people like us because so many people don't have that. You know, it's like, oh, you're messing up. You can't show up on time. You can't show up. Like, what are we paying you for? And I'm, you know what I mean? I have a similar mindset. Had I not known, you know, that this is a disease, I had a hard time buying that. I was like, oh, it's disease. This is something people say to make themselves feel better, Um, you know, to absolve the shame and the guilt. Because when I came in, I had a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And, you know, I thought it was a moral thing, just like a lot of other people do, that it was a, it's a consequence of my, my personal bad decisions. It says something bad about me that I'm here. Not only once it's like, well, you don't learn your lesson. Well, you know what I mean? How many times do we need to? And I've sat in offices at work and had to write letters about things I would do to show up on time. Like, I don't know, buy another alarm clock, stop doing drugs and drinking. <laughs> of course, I'm not putting that, but you know. Um, that would have, that would have solved, that would have summed up a lot of what the problem was. So I started messing up at work and my job became in jeopardy because of my attendance mostly. And my union, a person who was also a family friend took me to dinner and said, you know, we can fight this. Um, but if it's something else, you know, and I had rolled up, you know, car smelling like booze and weed and you know what I mean? When I opened the door, it's like the jig was up. And so, um, so I went, uh, the first one I went to was CFR in Concord. Well, if they asked me my EAP, I had a meeting with, and I thought it was so slick, you know, so I go and I meet with her and I'm, you know, I wear something nice and I'd smell whatever. And, I, and so we had a brief conversation I couldn't tell you how much it was, but, or exactly the, the how it went down, but, and I love this woman for this very reason. I mean, among others, but starting with this, that she let me come to her. 
like everybody, if, you know what I mean? I might as well have been wearing a sign. I didn't know this. I might have had, you know, on the back of my t-shirt, I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. But I went up there and I talked to her and, you know, and I walked out thinking, huh, like I'm cool, you know. But that very night, like I went home and I thought about it and I thought about some of the things, some of the seeds that she planted. And um, so then I started looking up rehabs online. And I think it was Betty Ford, like somewhere where they have a pool because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I called her in the morning and she's like, yeah, it doesn't quite work that way. So then she sent me to CFR and, um, it was a 30, 30 day inpatient. And, um, one of the many classes that we went to, um, they'd have these classes every Wednesday where the doctor would come and tell us like exactly either whatever drug it was or alcohol and what it was doing on a physical level to our bodies, which kind of stayed with me like why the liver dies and black, like, like, you know, and to give you more visceral, of course that wasn't enough to stop me, but, um, but I stayed, I stayed with that and we were supposed to come up with a, I'm sorry, that stayed with me. And um, we were supposed to come up with a mantra and there was a list of examples. And one of them like highlighted, smacked me in my face and said, I am unlovable. And I realized like putting words to it or we'd have to do a feeling word. And that's how I felt. I felt unlovable. I felt unworthy of love. And, um, you know, um, I learned some other things there. Um, got out of there, was maybe sober for, I don't know, a few years or so. And then I was right back to it. I got a sponsor again and, um, you know, started working some of the steps. And I, like, I try to say, I have a friend who is, um, has just completed the steps and is, you know, looking to sponsor other women and she's really nervous about it. And I told her and trying to reassure her and encourage her to step up about what someone else needs is that nothing any of these people throughout my journey has given me was wasted. Just because I didn't stay sober after the first or second rehab or the, the, the numerous sponsors I've had or the speakers that I've heard, none of it was wasted. I mean, I may have forgotten some of it, <laughs> For sure. But any, any investment in my recovery, like the sponsor that I had, it's like, she told me she was an atheist agnostic, excuse me. She was agnostic. And, uh, when I, when I wanted to ask her, this was at CFR in Pleasant Hill, I just sat next to her. Like I couldn't even talk to her. I just sat next to her and cried. And, uh, finally she was kind of like, well, are we going to do this or what? <laughs> Which was awesome. Right. Cause I'm just blubbering. Cause I had nothing. I was so, you know, I tried my way and it was done, but she told me one time uh, and I t as an agnostic, I thought it was kind of a particular twist. She said, you know how the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged first. She kind of used that as an, as an explanation about, cause I've always, I was always very hard on myself. I still am. It's still, that's still something I struggle with. Um, but she said, basically, as I start to judge others less, working on the outside, on, on judging others less, like I, ch I would change my mindset and start to view other people differently. Like it started with my perspective and that that stayed with me too. Like, cause it's hard for me to check my internal voice. It's hard to discern what's really me and what's my alcoholism. What's saying, you know, which side of me is saying this is a good idea. Hey, this, you know, now with the program and the steps, like I'm able to better discern. It's usually the quieter voice. Um, yes, I hear voices. <laughs>
but you know, um, it's the quieter one. Uh, and I know inherently now inside and I, and I can attribute it only to the re the strengthening of my relationship with my higher power, which is a huge problem. The number one reason that keeps me sober. I didn't really have any of that before, like this time around, like I have a relationship with my higher power, who I call God. And I feel like um, I know what the next right step is, not because I've been touched and I'm going to have that forever. It's because of you fine folks. It's for, it's because of the books. It's from staying in the middle of the herd. It's from exercising, um, practicing, listening to that voice more than, you know, the other ones. It's funny because I, I feel like I used to have it. And then somehow or another over the years, I got really good at convincing myself that what I wanted to do was a good idea. It's kind of really a trip how it happened. Because before I'm like, nah, I know. Should I go do my homework or go to the bar? Ah, I know. Well, maybe I'll just, it's like, no, you know, okay. You know that the, what you should do. And then you like make a conscious choice. Somehow in my brain, my alcoholism, I'm going to say, like it kind of equated to, well, maybe the bar is a good idea. Cause you know, you only live once and you know, I, I had, I had this fear for a long time of the FOMO, they call it, of missing out. Like the, one of my biggest regrets would be that I would, you know, be an older person reflecting back on my life and never really feeling like I lived. That's like my worst fear, like that I wasted my life, that I was too scared to do that. I, that I, and I have, I had for a long time. I took the easier, softer way and not in the AA way. It was the, well, I don't have the self-esteem to go after the, for myself or what my own idea of worth. So I'm going to go for this guy instead of, or this kind of relationship. And then, you know what I mean? Find myself in a spiral there. Or I'm just going to, I don't want to apply to UC Berkeley because I have to write an essay, which was crap because, because I have a fear of rejection and I have a fear of success. How do you have a fear of failure and a fear, a fear of success? I have that. Thank you to the step, step four. <laughs> I'm saying apparently like, like I'm like, I talked to my sponsor, I'm screwed. <laughs> I'm scared to succeed. I'm scared to fail. I'm scared of rejection, of being rejected. So I would reject you first, which kept a lot of people, relationships at bay, which kept me lonely a lot. Um, apparently, according, of course, our step four also taught me that I kind of have this, for lack of a better term, holier than thou, kind of. I didn't realize that, that that's how it was coming off. Um but I, I was realized, I asked my sister, I said, do I have like, like I'm better than, or like I'm too good, um, morally speaking of a moral, you know, it's like the drug addict, the three-time rehabber. I'm not saying that's a moral thing or not. I'm just saying, you know, and, and I'm really happy that I've learned, um, that I'm learning that everybody has their own gifts. Everyone has their own things to contribute. And as many people as there are in the world, or as many people are there are in AA, nobody's gonna, nobody has the ability to bring to the table what I can. Just like no one else has, just like I don't have the ability to bring what anybody else can. It's it's the collective of us all bringing our individual experience, our individual strength, hope, gifts. You know what I mean? Uh, ideas of service. It is it is the group that make that is the strength um, that that makes it. And and me trying to. You know, I just, I, I'm, I'm so happy that I have friends in this program now. Like last year, I have 11 months this time. 
I got a marble yesterday at the first uh, Friday meeting. I was like, oh, one of how many more? <laughs> Countless. Because <laughs> we do chips at other places, but I got a marble, just one of my marbles back. So, and that's huge to me, you know? Um, I'm, I'm really happy that I, that we have this program to, and that everyone's so willing to help out and to, you know, we had an event for Halloween and it's just like, okay, it's time to clean up. It's not like the, oh, there's a, maybe a few people and everybody else crept out five minutes before. So they didn't have to do anything. Someone called like, oh, we need someone to help sweep the kitchen. And like 20 people showed up and the guy was like, oh, I only need two. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how we, I've been taught to show up, you know what I mean? For a, that's or not even been taught, been taught through verbal, but mo more so by witnessing how people, you know, do that. When they say to call you, they really mean to call you. Um, when they ask you how you're doing, it's really only with AA people that I'll really say how I'm doing. I still have the habit of saying fine to other people because I feel like that's what they want to hear. Like, I can't tell them I'm having a rough day. You know, um, there's these things that I, I feel like a very immature or that I feel embarrassed to be suffering through, um, that I feel embarrassed to bother me. It makes me feel immature. I remember someone said I was emotionally immature in a meeting one time and I was like, Ew, <laughs> but because uh, I took it. Well, I'm very mature, and I don't know what you're talking about, right? But, but I I am emotionally immature even now because I didn't walk through anything. I ducked, I dodged, I hid, I you know smoked, I drank, I didn't deal with, I didn't necessarily mean to live in in denial. I didn't necessarily mean to, um you know, be stuck in my own cycle of thinking that led me in these things. And then I was a victim. I don't know how I keep, how do I always end up in these relationships? Uh, <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean? Let's look at you, right? What's the common denominator? Oh, okay. So I'm choosing that. I'm doing this. I'm doing this to myself. I'm hurting myself in this cycle over and over again. And because of these steps, like I don't have to do that anymore. And it, it's not happening overnight. And that's another thing. Like I'm sober now and I'm doing the right thing. Where's my freaking unicorn and my rainbow? Where's my, where's my, where's my gold star? How come I'm not, you know, flying over like Dorothy into the land of Oz? Like, you know, um, because it just doesn't happen that way. And so being patient, which is another thing I'm, I'm learning here um, that I'm, you know, I want to feel better and I want it now. And um, how come it's not working yet? I read part of the book. Okay, I got through a step. How come it's not working? How come it's not working? Um, and the, the thing is, is it doesn't happen. For me, it hasn't been like a lightning strike on the head. Though sometimes certain things people will say in the meetings are the fourth step that, you know, fourth and fifth, that was, that was my, you know, that was um, perspective changing. It was interesting to see how much of my own pain I was causing by the way I was looking at things but also empowering because if it's the way that I'm operating and the way that I'm looking at things, I have the power to change that with the help of my higher power and nobody, nobody else can. If my happiness is my own responsibility, then it's up to me. No one can take it from me. Um, and learning the difference between pleasure and joy has been something I've found on my journey because I was very much when I was out there, a pleasure seeker, I, I mistook pleasure for happiness. Um, and they're not, they're not the same pleasure for joy. Pleasure is the short term, 
you know what I mean? High from whatever it is you get, but just feel better now. It's going to fix it now. And that instant gratification I was very much about. So to try to tap into the joy, which is, has nothing to do with anything external. It lives inside of me because God lives inside of me and it's a natural free gift. And that would frustrate me at first because, oh, the gift of joy and peace, you know, the Lord gives freely. And it's like, well, where is mine? <laughs> I've been checking the mail. Amazon ain't bringing it. What do you mean? Like, did I miss it? Did you give it to the neighbors? Or like, well, what else? am I doing something wrong? That's a huge voice in my head. I always feel like I'm doing something wrong. Oh, you're doing it wrong. And that I live with this bully in my head. Super nice to other people, but myself, oh, it's probably because you're doing it wrong. Oh, you, you didn't pray long enough. You didn't meditate. Whoops, whoops, whoops. I beat the crap out of myself and I'm so good at it. And I try to remember or what I'm when I'm learning now and trying to, like my, my relationship with my higher power, with God is based on my perspective of him. And so if I'm viewing God as this person who, and I've shared this before, like, you know, that State Farm commercial, oh, you got to be quicker than that. Like, oh, there was all this peace and joy and happiness. It was right here. And as soon as I read, oh, you know what I mean? And it gets snatched away. Like it's this whole monkey in the middle type of, you know, and I was like, I'm never going to be perfect. Obviously, like you try to live these principles, but there's no finish line. There's no graduation certificate. Like, Hey, congratulations. You're a spiritual ninja. And you just go on the rest of your life with your little spiritual ninja, you know what I mean? Badge and just, Hey, you know, I don't have to do anything anymore. Like it really is contingent upon, you know, what I do daily. And it's, it's such a trip because it creeps in. It's not like a, eh, 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 you didn't do this like red light warning. It feels like, it feels like it's just me. Like I have to stop and pause and be like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel like cussing this guy out right now? All he did was, you know what I'm saying? It was something I would totally do have done before. Why is this bothering me? Oh, because I'm not right within myself. That whole concept in the book that talks about how if basically the assumption that all is right in the world, despite the fact of what's going on and on the news and all this other stuff, if there's a problem within me, that that's exactly where it is. It's within me. If there's a problem, it's in, it's in the way that I'm looking at it. It's in the way I'm understanding it. It's in the way I'm understanding what my power over it is or what influence I had. Like that was huge too. It's a, this program has taught me how to let things go though. Not always so easily. Like I know, what do I have control over? Very little. My perspective at best, my attitude at best, myself, <laughs> even now I want to say, you know, um, with practice, you know, I think it comes more. I love it was shared in a meeting the other day about gratitude, uh, not being a feeling. And that stuck with me. I feel like there was a time in life where I would just wake up and I'd feel the sunshine on my face and you know, it was nothing external. There was an extra, you know, creamer and that whatever. It just was something that was there. And because I've lost touch with that, it made me feel for a while at this time in sobriety, like I was broken. Like I just messed that part of myself up. Like my receptors were, you know, um, off, but, but it's not. And I, and I realized that I learned that feeling from the program related to gratitude. Like I know, I remember a, a change in myself one of these times trying to go through the program and um, 
And so if I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> so um, gratitude. Oh, so the joy, you know, it's just, um, it's, uh, it's something I have to work for. And I feel like that gratitude is the key to that. And it's a practice. It's a habit. It's a perspective. It's not something that's just going to come to me. Um, again, like with habit, like it'll become my, my mind state, but I have to work on it. And, you know, I, I felt upset about being an alcoholic or an addict. Like it kind of felt like a curse at first in life. It's like, why do I have to be, especially when you're watching everyone else or how do I have fun now? Or why does this have to be something that I have to deal with? And, um, there was a brief time where again, I, I did some work in the steps and it, it occurred to me that it was actually a blessing and I'm trying to, I'm, I sit on the fence of that um, now, honestly, but I believe in my heart that it really is. And I'll say why, <laughs> because I don't know of any other disease that brings me, that encourages me to be a better person that encourages me to, to be a happier person that encourages me to want to care for myself and for others, to be of service to other people, not just in the program, but how service leaks out from this program to other people. I'm a better neighbor now. I'm certainly a better mother. I didn't realize that I could have, I could be in the same room, same house with my child his whole life and still abandon him because I'm not present. Oh, go awake. I got something to do in the back or, you know, my son's five now. Like he, you know, he knows his mom and and I'm not perfect, but I'm here with him, you know? Um, and I'm trying to be the best kind of mom. You know what I mean? And this program is teaching me more patience with him and more tolerance with him. He's five and <laughs> but I couldn't have, you know, I didn't know how to handle things before. And now he can watch me handle things and learn how to handle things. He's not watching his mom duck and dodge and run and hide and be a coward. Cause I was, I didn't want to deal with anything. I was very fear. I mean, pain aversion, avert, uh, that word, um, <laughs> I would avoid pain. <laughs> um, like the plague, like, you know, uh, I'm not, nope, I'm not, I just, uh, and not the physical kind, the emotional kind. I felt like I spent so much time there. Um, so now like, and my son, you know, cause this thing is ripped, like was said earlier, this thing is ripped through my family, my great uncles, my grandparents, Irish Catholic, you know, my dad on my dad's side, my aunts, it's like, you know, the, the health problems, the early deaths, the ugly deaths, the misery. Like I, I, I'm happy to say that I'm working diligently to break that cycle. Um, my son's not going to have to know some of the things that I've known. I pray anyway. Like I, I wake up, I give myself, I tell God like your will, not mine be done. And thank you in advance for, for watching over your son. I don't even call him my son anymore. I gave him to God. It's God's kid. Not to say that it absolves me of anything I'm here, but you know what I mean? If there's anything like if I, and I try to remember the forefront of my mind, like if I'm sad about something or I feel like, you know, I start falling into self-pity or, you know, I'm suffering and I don't want to or whatever. It's just like, if I look at it, like I'm suffering for my kid, even if that's not the exact case, it's a lot easier for me. 
okay, how do we figure this out next? Okay, how do we get through this? Let me talk to someone about it, even though it's embarrassing. Um, you know, uh, and I'm and I'm 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 happy about that. I'm I'm happy he doesn't have to know that. He asked, I know he said something about because he listens to me on Zoom meetings. He's like alcoholic, you know, he's five. So he repeats it. And it's like, you know, I don't think ain't no shame in my game. Like there are certain things that he needs, to, you know, doesn't necessarily doesn't come with me to meetings, a lot of whatever, but but I'm not hiding it from him. Uh I'm not hiding in shame about if it's a family disease, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna tell him straight up, son, like you're you know what I mean? Not right now, because he's <laughs> you know. But um, but he's gonna he's gonna know. Uh, it's not my secret, my little secret club that I creep off to. I don't put it on a billboard because it's not you know people's business that way. But and I'm learning to speak more. Like one of the daily reflections a couple of days ago, like, I don't give people advice, but I use a lot of I statements. This is how I you know what I mean. This is how I felt that way before, and this is what I did, or this is how I moved through that, and um. And who better to have that for than my son, but also, you know, to other people too. Um, hopefully I, I would let him stand on my face. You know what I'm saying? Like in the, so the, to, to lift him up. Uh, Cause that's, I, that's, I think I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like that's a major goal for a lot of parents is that, you know what I mean? To see the generations ca that come after be better off, do things. I made all these mistakes. You don't have to. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to do these things. I mean, everyone's going to live their own life, but, but I can tell you, son, if I could touch you for all the, mis all the mistakes I've made or all the bad decisions, all the wrong places I looked for love and acceptance, you know, I, I, I found, uh, I found through the program, which really led me to, led me to God. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I, um, I am still working the steps. My sponsor is actually encouraging me. There's a particular uh, woman who I think is waiting around for me to be her sponsor. And I've been telling people that I can't sponsor people because I have not completed the steps, which was what I was taught. But I'm on the back end of it. And she's like, well, you know, as long as you're ahead of it, I'm like, I don't know about that. Like, I, I'm, I've got some, some qualms, but I'm remembering what I just told my friend about you have to keep it, you have to give it away to keep it. And if there's some way that I can help somebody at any point in my life with anything that I have, um, may they have, you know what I mean? One day or 16, I mean, <laughs> or 25 years, whatever it is, you know, uh, that's another, like, I, I, I looked at people biasly sometimes, like they're older than me. Like I had a higher expectation and it's like, that's another expectations lead to disappointments and it's not fair for me to have expectations of other people no matter how much time it's like we all need each other and everyone learns different lessons at different times in life there are some that I caught early you know and there are others that I'm still catching or have yet to catch but I'm open to whatever you know I'm I, I love having a place I can come where I can talk about anything um and have some and have some resolve to it again even if it's not overnight so, you know, if you're, if you're new or if you're not new, if you're juggling and you feel new, um, you know, just keep, keep coming back and don't be ashamed to bring, you know, any, to bring anything that you feel like you need to change yourself about over, you know, your mood or I encourage just, just tell somebody, it doesn't have to be a group level, but talk to somebody about it, get it, get it off of you, get it out of you, pray about it. 
because I know for me, things like that will eat me up inside and I can't trust my own voice. Sometimes my own voice will kick my, you know what I mean? We'll see. Yeah. That's why you, well, that's why you're not, you know? And I was starting to say like with, with the God thing, it's like, if I view God as a loving, as a loving father, the whole concept of unconditional love that even when I'm messing up, he still loves me. Like, I don't know. I've never known that kind of love before. So it's hard to fathom. It's kind of just like, oh, I missed the mark again. I was supposed to get up, but I snoozed through. So I didn't pray and meditate like I was supposed to this morning. Or I had some, you know, um, fourth step work to do, but I put it off. And so I guess I'm a horrible, <laughs> I mean, like I just wake up every day and I try to do my best. And if I'm thinking too much about myself, there's a problem. So I love about the program. I can call somebody else. Hey, how are you doing? Please tell me, <laughs> how can I be of service to someone else? And I have a sponsor tell me, you know, you, you build self-esteem by doing esteemable acts. And this place gives me a place, gives me a, um, a place to do that, to, to build my self-esteem. It was, it was a hard thing for me to realize. Like, I didn't know I was talking to my counselor in rehab. And he's like, you know, build self-worth, self-esteem. And I'm like, how do you do that? Cause I always thought it was based on what I did. It was performance-based. It was what I produced. It was how I was able to help somebody else because those things, while that last one's kind of tricky in the program, like it's not, it's not those things. If I woke up and I had a bad day and I was a crab ass all day, I still am worthy of love. I'm still worth just as much as I am, you know, not that my worth isn't based on those things. And, and, um, and so trying to imagine a God who loves me regardless I'm a crab ass if I cut somebody off or if I saved a little kid from being hit by a car. I don't know. You know what I mean? That that my higher power still loves me the same and being able to accept that. And it's helped me to try. I Someone asked me in a meeting how I learned to love myself. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> uh, slowly, day by day. But those are things, you know, I don't believe God makes crap. I can see the beauty in the creation. I can see beauty in the sunset, in the trees and stuff around me. I can see beauty in all of you guys in different ways, how it comes out, how it emanates. I have a hard time seeing it in me, but I know if I can see it there, if it's in everything that I see around me or even feel around me sometimes, then it's got to exist in me. And so that's what I, you know, that's what I work on. That's what I try to hold on to. Um, I'm here for a purpose. And I think everyone is. And, you know, I uh, I hope that everyone or someone got something out of what I had to say. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and inviting me to share. God bless. Thank you.